Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. So last week, we, we were discussing what it means to have God provide us with a divine comprehension, right? Uh, to give us the capacity to comprehend who he is, what he thinks, to gain his perspective. This is what we've been talking about. We want his mind. We want his perspective and his insight. Now, all religions, all religions offer some sort of higher knowledge, don't they? I mean, this isn't common to just Christianity. Lots of religions offer people an opportunity to, to gain some sort of higher knowledge, however they frame that, some, some higher plane of understanding, all right? And, and it looks like so many different things, doesn't it, okay? Uh, maybe it's a, a, a religion like Buddhism or Islam or Taoism or, or, or one of these major uh, uh, faith systems. It could be Prager University, right? It could be... It could be um, Man, some of you come from a background of drug use, and I know there's people in this ministry who microdosed before you came to Christ because you believed that it was going to give you some greater insight, help you to recalibrate your brain. Uh, so many of us uh, take medications for this very reason because we want to be able to still our mind and get proper perspective among all the voices of the world that are demanding for us to be a certain thing, to go a certain way. You know, Greek philosophy itself was built on these same ends, that there was transcendent knowledge attainable for man. But, but, but what, are, what are these other philosophies and religions missing that Christianity's figured out? What is it? What makes our claims about gaining knowledge and understanding and wisdom particularly unique? I've got three reasons for you before, we start, before I actually start preaching today. Okay, I'm in that mood. You ready? Okay, the first thing is this. The first thing is this. This is what we have in Christianity, what we have in Christ. First of all, we worship a personal God. We worship a personal God. He knows us and he wants to be known. He knows us in every way. Now, we would assume that an omniscient God in any faith system, you know, knows, knows the, their creation well or knows, or knows human beings well, okay? But the difference is that he wants us to know us and he wants to know us to know him as his friend. Like he wants us to be his, his, his partner, his friend, his, his uh, you know, deep and abiding companions. 1 Corinthians 8, 2 says this, and if, a, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Psalm 145, 18 says this, the Lord is nigh, and to all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. And I think that makes our God particularly unique. I think the fact that he wants a personal relationship with his creation, with every single individual, is unique. This is the thing that got deists like Thomas Jefferson and, and some of these famous men who believed that God was distant and all-knowing, and he was so busy with the things of the universe that he had no thoughts about the creation of mankind on earth. He's just too big. He's, he's beyond knowing. I get how they drew that conclusion. 
But his book tells us that he wants us to know him. Jesus Christ called his disciples his friends. This makes, this makes the God of Christianity particularly unique. He came to us. He sought us. He gave his life for us. And he wants us for his very own. Now beyond all that, he lives in us. And so to have God in your body, in your vessel, in your consciousness is as personal as it can possibly get. It wasn't good enough for him to just come to earth and, and send his son, but, but he wants to indwell us with the power of his spirit, and he wants us to know him even, even in our simple and quiet thoughts. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have, ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, so first of all, we have a God that wants to be personal with us. Second of all, what makes Christianity unique is that we have a divine text. Proverbs twenty two twenty one says this, that I might make, make thee know. Okay, this is God talking to us. And this is, you know, Solomon talking to his son. But, but we ought to know that he wants to make his words known to us and that they'd be certain that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. And so further, we believe as Christians that we have a certain or sure word, that it's been written and that it's been preserved just as God intended it to be. We have it right now in 2023 exactly the way that he intended it to be given to us even in the first century. Even before the foundations of the world, he's given us his divine word, and we can believe it. Now, other faiths, they also have scriptures, don't they? They also have scriptures. They also have what they would refer to as divine texts. But the problem is, when you get them talking about it, you discover that in their religious systems, they don't actually believe that the text is perfect. They believe that it's been tampered with, or that it's been altered or changed over time. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We believe that our word is preserved. Or they don't allow their adherents to challenge it. So in Islam, the average person, the average Muslim, the average follower of Allah is not actually allowed to, to read the words of God. That's, that is the job for the religious order. They're not even invited to do that, let alone this next thing, and that is to challenge it. And that's the third thing that's particularly unique about Christianity, is that we are invited to struggle with the truth that God's given us. We're invited to grapple with it. We are, we are invited to test its claims, to consider the consequences of the, the ideas that are, that are written inside of that book. Acts 17.10 talks about uh, this uh, group of, of people called the Bereans, right? And so Paul is traveling, you know, with the other missionaries, and he comes to Berea, and he presents the gospel to them. He, he presents to them the the message of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And these are people for a, for a while that have been working through Judaism. And these are people that would, would have been, um, to some degree, sympathetic with Jewish ideas. And they would have held to the scriptures as being truth. But so when he comes to them with this message of Jesus, they take that and they challenge it. Acts 17.10 says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. In other words, Paul presented this message to them, and, and what they decided to do was say, okay, you know what? We're he- we hear what you're saying. We're going to go test it against the word of God. We are going to challenge it. We are going to grapple with it. We are going to ask hard things of it and find out whether or not it's true. And this is what has been unique about Christianity for millennia. This is why Christianity has thrived in parts of the world where other religions have not or other religions have, have, uh, have oppressed people. See, Christianity allows us to challenge who Christ is, who God is through his word. We can ask it hard questions and we can come away with a free will determining whether or not to believe it uh, for ourselves, right? And that's unique about our faith. God wants men to wrestle with him in the darkness of the night, just like Jacob did, right? That's what he wants. He was all, he's all right with that. Job, you know, we get, we get a whole book devoted to Job wrestling with God. We, 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 have, we have to be willing to do that, and that's what makes Christianity, Christianity so unique. So when we ask ourselves questions, questions about identity and who we are, and we say we can know who we are in light of who God is, this is not an esoteric or religious claim. We can know who God is. This is a concrete and sensible claim in Christianity. We can can know who he is, and he can inform who we are. I think that that makes our faith pretty amazing. And that is why we are looking to the scriptures to show us who we should be, finding our identity. Let's pray, and then we will get into chapter 15. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for today, and thank you for all of the people that are here with us today. Uh, Thank you for those who have committed their lives to the work of this ministry. And Lord, thank you for the visitors that are here today for the very first time. Lord, I pray that they would know that they're welcome here, that they're loved, uh, that we're grateful for their attendance today. But Lord, that they would also be challenged by your word and that they would be willing to ask themselves uh, whether or not uh, what your word says, what the Bible says, what's being taught from your word today is true or not. And so give them the grace and the freedom to ask hard questions. And if they need people to help them, Lord, I ask that you would prompt them uh, to, to go to the Christians that they know and to ask, ask those difficult questions. We trust you for that. We believe that you're light and we believe that you're truth. And so there's no question that's too difficult for you. And I know that you're ready to answer those questions. Lord, we pray for our time that you would continue to inform our identity, who we are in you. Uh, We need you. Uh, We're looking to you uh, to make our lives have meaning and purpose. And we ask for for help in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's read verse 15. This is where we were at last week. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints... Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
Okay, so just by way of review, I want to remind us what we talked about last week before we move forward and discuss wisdom. That's what we're going to be talking about today primarily. So the first thing that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus is that God would give them the revelation in the knowledge of Him. And so what does that mean? What does that mean to have the revelation of the knowledge of Him? That is to to gain knowledge is to receive the truth of God's Word. To receive the truth of God's Word. You know, in, in edu- you know I, I was a teacher for a decade, and uh, I got my master's in education. I love education. I'm still in education through LFBI. But I don't know if you guys remember, certainly you do. Okay, I don't remember so much because I'm old, but certainly you remember because you're still young taking tests in high school. Yeah? Okay, now you remember, you remember memorizing things for a test? Do you guys remember doing that? Did anybody have anatomy? Anybody take anatomy? Yeah, Bethany's in anatomy right now. Right, some of you took it in college. Now, the thing about anatomy is that you, all you do is memorize. The whole semester, you're just memorizing like every bone, was like 7 million bones or something ridiculous? Like in your foot, there's like 7 million bones in your right foot. You have to memorize like all the veins and the corpuscles, whatever those are, I don't know. You got to memorize all the stuff. Now, the, the, thing about, the thing about memorizing, right, memorizing for a test is that that is knowledge that is, that is easily discarded, isn't it? You take the test, and when you're done with the test, you kind of walk away, and you're just relieved that it's over with, and if you don't use that knowledge or that information immediately in your re- regular life, your day-to-day life, it gets completely wasted. It, it disappears. It's just, Right? And so really what they're doing when they make you take these tests, it's just like a paper mill. Like, like education hasn't figured this out. That This is not a really a great way of measuring whether or not people know things. But it is what it is. And, and that's the thing about test taking is that, is that it's information that doesn't have application. But that's not how God intended his word to be. See, God gave us and is giving us knowledge so that we might have the ability to identify and receive biblical instruction with a high degree of permanence. And so when we consume the word of God, we're learning, we're doing the discipleship thing, or, or we are, you know, we're memorizing our verses for that, or, or we are uh, you know, studying in our small groups, or we're taking classes in LFBI. There's something unique about that because God's spirit is involved. And God's spirit is a teacher. And when you go to, you might think to yourself, man, I'm just not good at memorizing. Well, listen, you got the spirit. And the Spirit loves to, to, to teach you things in your inner man. He loves to take that stuff you're memorizing, that stuff that you're learning, and make it have use in your mind. He wants to, to construct a framework in your mind of knowledge and information, and he wants it to have permanence. So last week we learned that true knowledge shapes your definitions and makes you to be spiritually informed. It establishes your mind in the Word of God. How do we get knowledge? Well, knowledge, we, we learn first, it must be revealed. God uncovers truth for us through the inscripturation of his word and the pres- preservation of his word. We also know that it must be received. We have to receive it. If we reject it, if we reject what it says, well, then there's, you know, there's no way that that becomes knowledge for us. right? If you don't want to learn of the Lord, well, you don't have to. But the third thing is that there's a way in which it must re- be received, and that's through humility. We must, have, we must have faith as we approach God's word. 
we must have a ready mind and we must be humble in our hearts. Knowledge without a heart of faith and humility is dangerous. It can only produce arrogance in us. We talked about this last week. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians and they have lots of head knowledge as it concerns the Bible, right? You know, when I was in college, I used to go and preach in one of the local jails here. And there's several of the, the, the men and women in our ministry. They go to the local jails and they, they preach and they do Bible study with people. And it's a wonderful thing. I saw so much fruit. And I saw so many genuine professions of faith. I loved it. And it really, I got to cut some of my, my teeth in terms of teaching for the very first time when I was in the jail ministry, 18, 19 years old. I was fairly intimidated by that process. You can imagine as an 18-year-old, right, you can't even grow a beard yet, and you're walking into a jail, you got 60-year-old felons in there just hanging out, right? And then they come and they want to, they're, gonna, they're at least pretending like they want to hear you teach, right? But you're just some baby-faced youngster. Now, I remember one of the things about being in the jail and preaching is that a lot of these guys knew the Bible really well. Right? Like you go in there and, and they'd quote scripture and they'd be like, yeah, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm a deacon at the just such and such church. And I was, I remember when I first started hearing that, like, it was like, you know, that meme with the woman with all of the like algorithms. <laughs> it like, di- it didn't register. It didn't make sense. And the reason is because it's possible for people to have knowledge but deny, deny it in terms of understanding and its application to their life. Right? You can, you can, you can know a handful of verses. Now, now, I would argue that a lot of the folks that I encountered in those settings didn't actually know the Word of God. They just had some stuff memorized. But my point to you is this. It's possible to take in knowledge and not actually make any use of it. it can't, you can take that knowledge in and your head puffs up, but your heart never grows. And so we, the word of God must be revealed to us, it must be received, and, and we must receive it in humility. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, he resists them, and giveth grace to the humble. And that's what we want, is grace. Now, at MBT, listen to me, we're talking about knowledge, we're talking about learning God's word. At MBT, the question is, how do we pursue biblical knowledge here? All right, so this is an opportunity for me to invite you to engage at whatever level you're at the way in which we as a church dispense truth, the way in which we teach the word. Now, a lot of you are here this morning to hear the preacher preach. Now, this is a format in which you can gain truth, and I I pray that some of you would. I pray that today some of you would make decisions based on what you're hearing from God's word. I pray that for you. But we have so many other opportunities besides that. We have something that we refer to as discipleship, all right? And it's based on a model in Scripture where we see one person investing into the life of another person the things of God's word. One leader, one mature person taking God's word and teaching a younger person who wants to grow in their faith. Okay, so we have discipleship, and we want to encourage you, if you want to grow in your knowledge of the Lord and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we want you to do discipleship. We also have Bible study. Bible study is a great place for you to get your feet wet, to break bread with other brothers and sisters in Christ, to learn how to study the Bible, because people are going to model it for you. They're going to show you all of the different principles of studying God's Word, and you can gain something from that in terms of knowledge. We also have a Bible Institute. 600 students in our Bible Institute. Pretty incredible. 
All right? And it's an opportunity for you to go deeper in your faith. But you've got to determine that you want it. You've got to determine you want it. And so all, even all you students that are in LFBI, look, we got, we got the eight-week reports. I know your grades. I saw them. That's the benefit of being the Kaya pastor, but also being the provost of the school. I've seen your grades. I know. I know how the semester is going. And my question for you is, do you take... Do you take the reception of knowledge seriously? Because, again, at the end of the day, how could we possibly have God shape our mind and to shape our perspectives and to give us a true identity and realize his gifting in us if we don't first start by hungrily pursuing him in his word? Now, the next thing we talked about was understanding. Verse 18 says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So understanding is to be endowed with the ability to conceptualize and implement divine knowledge. To receive it, to make sense of it, and to actually know how it's useful in your day-to-day life. Like in your mind, you can, you can do the math, Right? I can do the math on God's word. If God's word says this, then I know how it applies in this circumstance with my boss. If God's word says this, I know what this means for me in terms of the integrity with my family. If God's word says these things and provides me with these principles and I know them in my mind, now I have the ability in terms of comprehension to make use of them in every circumstance of life. And that's what understanding does. You know, in LFBI, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time writing quizzes and assessments. And um, when I first came into to, to LFBI and I started working for the school, one of the very first initiatives that I took on was to go and to, to begin tackling the quizzes because a lot of them were just kind of rote memorization like we were talking about earlier. A lot of the quizzes were just like, you know, multiple choice questions that if you had your notes in front of you, it's like easy to answer. And so what I started doing was I started ruining your lives. And class by class, quiz by quiz, I began to include those memorization things because I do believe those are important. But then begin adding questions that deal with whether or not you understand how this applies. And so now you've got you've to do like a one-paragraph reflection on what you learned in class that day. And you could blame me for that. But I know what God's word says. And if, you, if, if, if I want your knowledge to have understanding, then I need you to take the knowledge that you're receiving and figure out in your mind how it might apply to your life and your ministry. Does that make sense? That's what we need. Understanding is when what you learn from the Bible becomes a part of your reasoning and intuition. We learned last week that understanding shapes your perceptions of the world by making you a discerning person, giving you the capacity to make judgments, to say this is right and this is wrong and this is somewhere in between and this is how grace applies and this is how mercy applies. And this is what, this, in this case, I need to be patient. I need to wait. But in this case, I need to be urgent. Understanding takes the things that we've learned and it makes them alive in our mind. But how do we gain understanding? We learned last week that we have to pray for it. We've got to pray for understanding. King Solomon asked for understanding and God was faithful to give it. And Paul right here in this passage is asking that God would give us understanding. And here's the question. Are you asking 
Are you asking for understanding? We, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to pray for it. We've got to. We've got to ask the Lord, God, I don't, un, I don't understand. You know, that's a beautiful prayer. God, I know, but I don't understand. God, would you help me to understand? I mean, are you humble enough to do that? I think, I mean, to me, that's true humility, isn't it? To say, God, I, I know what your word says, but I don't understand how it applies. And God is faithful to provide you with understanding. But here's the other thing is you gotta be teachable. You gotta be teachable. You, you need to be the type of person who's okay with the answers that you get. I mean, sometimes it conflicts with our passions and our desires, what we want from a situation. But God's understanding is supposed to take precedence over what we understand and what we believe in our flesh. We have to be teachable. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are, are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace shall be with you. So what's Paul saying here? He's telling the Philippians, look, what I've taught you, what you've learned, what you observed in my life, what I've modeled for you in terms of my, the, the way I function in ministry and life, take all those things and think on them that God might transform your life and make you a true disciple of Jesus. So we need to be teachable. We need to learn and hear and do and, and act and function in a way that's modeled for us by mature believers that surround us. And then we need to meditate on truth. Now, this is a new one. This wasn't, this wasn't in there last week, but I felt like I needed to add it in as I was studying today because I found this amazing verse. You guys ready for it? If we want understanding, we have to learn how to meditate on truth. Listen to what Psalm 49.3 says. My mouth shall speak of wisdom. Now, we're getting there. We're going to talk about wisdom here in a minute. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I like that. Because the truth is, we can receive information into our mind. There's some of you that are in here that have IQs that, that go way, way beyond me. You're Mensa, like Eric. Eric is, is Mensa. That's what you used to always tell everybody, isn't it? You guys know what Mensa is? It's like a club for people with high IQs. Eric used to go around and say, yeah, I'm a Mensa member. Let me show you my Mensa card. <laughs> yes, you did. You know you did. It was a, I think it was a joke, but you, I mean, sometimes, sometimes jokes become truth in your mind. I don't know. But some of you are real smart. You're real smart, and you have a high IQ, okay? But you're like socially and emotionally completely inept, Right? Like, you, you can, like, take tests for days, right? No problem. Straight A's, no problem. But then when it comes to, like, dealing with, like, interpersonal relationships, it's like you're mal you malfunction. Like, <laughs> the circuitry is, like. Look, what we need to do is to make that transference in terms of knowledge to understanding. One of the things we need to do is simply meditate on the things that we've learned. Yes. Work through them in our mind. Rest in them. Have you know, we're so terrible. This generation's so terrible about being bored. You know, the best thing you could be is bored. The best thing you could be is to just sit and be quiet and think about things. 
Holy moly. For some of you, it's more likely that you will be in the NBA one day than learn how to sit and be bored. I'm still working on it, Danny. I'm working on it. I'm working on my jumper. Danny believes in me. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. If we want understanding, we need to learn to meditate. Now, as we're talking about divine comprehension, we've covered knowledge, we've covered understanding, but we have not yet covered wisdom. And so that's what we're going to do now. The passage says, God may give, Paul's prayer is this, is that God may give unto you the spirit, the spirit of wisdom. What is wisdom? The word of God calls us repeatedly to pursue after wisdom. It's one of the most repeated topics in all of scripture. It's wisdom. Now, the the first time that we see the word wisdom in the Bible It's used just the way, the exact same way we see it here in this passage, which I thought was really interesting. It's with the full phrase, spirit of wisdom. So the first time the word wisdom shows up, it shows up just as we read it here in Ephesians, as the spirit of wisdom. So I had to take notice of that. So for those of us who are learning to study the Bible for the first time in our lives, we often talk about the principle of first mention when we're studying the Bible. And what that basically means is this, that when you come across a word that you want to understand better in Scripture, that you you look up all the usages of that word, and, 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 and all of those usages determine for us the meaning. But sometimes there's an in particular, the very first time that the word is used, that illuminates in a very bright way what that word means. Like it's sometimes very distinct in its pronunciation of what that word means. And so here we have this phrase, spirit of truth. And in this case, the first mention of the word wisdom is in Exodus 28. So let's look at that. We're going to do a little study here. Exodus 28.3 says, And thou shalt speak unto all that are, that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Okay, so what's the context? Since we're talking about rules of Bible study, it's also important if you want to understand how to study the Bible, that you have the context for any given passage that you're looking at. You want to know how that passage, how this verse in our instance here, fits within the whole of the book. What's going on here? And that will inform whether or, or how I make sense of it. And so what we learn in Exodus 28 is that God is establishing a holy priesthood. That's what he's doing. He is creating a way to reveal himself to the nation of Israel, to his people. He is establishing a method by which they sanctify themselves in worship. That's what he's doing. And so what's going on is that the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are devoting themselves to the work of establishing temple worship. And part of that looks like preparing and making things. They've got to make things. They've got to make the, they've got to make the tabernacle. 
They've got to take cloth. They've got to dye cloth. They've got to make rings. They've got to, they've got to, to beat metals into shape and into form. And, and they have to have craftsmen whittling wood down and, and, and shaping and, and making all the instruments of worship. Now, what we see here in, in verse 3 is that God used certain individuals to craft the holy garments. Their job was to make the, bre- the breastplate for the, for the high priest. Their job was to, to make the ephod. And these garments were intended to distinguish the priesthood as sanctified and unique within the congregation. These were the people that God intended to use to have direct access to him. These these were a special group of people. The Levitical order were, were, were very special to God. And they had a job to do, but it was everybody's job to feed into that to help with that, to to lead in that that work, to establish this form of worship. Now, from this passage, what we learn is that all these craftsmen were wise-hearted. I think that's a a kind of an interesting thing to say about a bunch of people who are just doing some work, right? They're, They're like taking garments and they're making them and they're, you know, right? They're basically doing artistry. But what we learn from Exodus is that all of these craftsmen, they were wise-hearted and they were people whom the spirit of wisdom dwelled in. And I thought about, well, why is that? Why is that? Why is that the case? And I think there's three reasons. The first one is this, that they were obedient to God in the work of their hands. I believe that wisdom looks like obedience to God with the working of your hands. So we've talked about knowledge. We've talked about understanding. These are inward things, are they not? But wisdom is what manifests when you obey. It's what's produced. The next thing is this. They were masterful in their gifting. They weren't just obeying God, but they were really good at doing what they did. They were good at it. They were masterful in their gifting. And I believe that that's what wisdom looks like. I believe wisdom, when it manifests itself in your life, it looks like the refining of your gifting and your calling. It looks like you getting better and better and better and better at what God has asked you to do. I believe that the more knowledge and the more understanding you get and the more practice you get, the more wise you get. I believe that's how wisdom works. Third, these were people that were concerned with the ministry, with facilitating the ministry of worship. That's what they were concerned with. And I think that wise people are concerned with God getting worship. I think wisdom, when it's manifest in the life of a believer, it looks like people who are very, very, very concerned with whether or not God gets the glory in an an undistracted way. So you ask yourself, am I wise? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. Keeps going. Exodus 31 says six, uh, and verse 6 says this. And I behold, I have given him with Aholiabib. Aholiab? Aholiab. That's a tough one. I don't think I've ever said that word out loud until just now. So, okay. Aholiab, the son of Ahismahash of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom. 
that they may make all that I have commanded thee. Okay, so, so this is an echo of what we were just talking about. These are people that are doing things. These are people that are serving the Lord. They're obeying him. And it says that God put his wisdom in them. Exodus 36.1 says this. Then wrought Bezele, I can't do it today, Bezeliel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how, to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. Now God's showing them how. Put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord had commanded. So based on this insight, we learn quite a bit uh, about wisdom, I think. Wisdom is what happens when knowledge and understanding produce obedience in our lives. It transforms you into a servant. That's what wisdom does. It transforms you into a servant. Wisdom is also when knowledge and understanding produce mastery in your gifting. And so for that reason, I believe that it transforms you. Wisdom transforms you into a virtuoso. I believe it does. You know what that word is? Okay, virtuoso. Okay, virtuosity. Virtuosity is when a person excels in in a particular area. So think about your ministry responsibilities. Do you excel at them? No, you're like, I'm, I'm just learning how. I don't really know how to lead. I don't know how to, 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 to lead people into the worship of the Lord. I'm not very good at discipling people. I'm not very good at teaching people. I'm not very good at serving. I'm not very good at being hospitable. I'm not being very good at a, being a counselor or helping people through their issues. I'm just not very good at it. Here's the deal. Are you willing? I believe that in time, God wants to make you a virtuoso. He wants to cause you to excel in the areas that he's gifted you for. He wants to use his spirit to refine you and use you mightily. We also learn that wisdom is when knowledge and understanding produce a devotion to the work of elevating God. In other words, wisdom transforms you into a worshiper. And that's, that's a really easy way to figure it out. If, you're, if you're, you ain't worshiping, you ain't wise. If you don't take the praise of the Lord seriously, you're not a wise man or a wise woman. If you don't make time to elevate the name of Christ in your life, you lack wisdom. So what is wisdom? Let's boil it down. Well, wisdom is virtuosity gained. Okay, now you know what that word is. Wisdom is also the divine ability to master the application of truth in real time. In every circumstance of life. Something creeps up and takes you by surprise in life. Man, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Something's going to happen today that's going to take you by surprise. Wisdom is God's ability to illuminate that truth, to make it real and applicable, the things that you've learned in that moment. It's working knowledge. You guys ever heard that term, working knowledge? It's knowledge that, that, that works itself out. It has application. It's understanding that's made alive. Wisdom is the wherewithal to illuminate God's truth in word and deed. I love this passage that we're going to look at here. Okay? Because I believe that when wisdom manifests, it manifests itself both in our actions and in our words, in our mouth, the way that we speak. So you, you know, a lot of us understand that when we engage with someone we, that we consider to be wise, a wise man or a wise woman, we go to them, we seek counsel from them, 
we believe that they're going to have wise words, right? Their words. But also in their actions and the things that they do. Listen to what Colossians says. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And so if the word of Christ dwells in you richly in all wisdom, that means there are things that are going to come out of your mouth and out of your life that look like God. Does that make sense? So here's our key point. Wisdom shapes your ministry by making you insightful and effective. Wisdom shapes your ministry by making you insightful and effective. Makes you effective. Now how do we gain wisdom? I mean, don't we want this? Don't we want to be effective for Christ? Don't we want to be effective with our, our friends and family member as it concerns the Lord? Don't, don't we want to be effective with our coworkers or, or, or good at what we do in ministry? Don't we want to be effective? Don't we want to be fruitful, prosperous, blessed? Well, how do we gain wisdom? First, you can, you can learn a lot about what wise men look like simply from reading the Bible. You can contrast wise men in Scripture, wise characters, wise men and women against foolish ones. They're everywhere. The, the entire narrative of Scripture is riddled with people who are both wise and stupid. And so you can look at that and you can learn from that. Learning about wisdom in the Bible isn't hard. There is literally an entire section of the Bible that they call the wisdom books. And so if you miss it, well, I, I don't know what to say about you, okay? The wisdom books being Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. The word wise shows up in your Bible, or I'm sorry, shows up in, these, in these, uh, this portion of Scripture, in these wisdom books, 109 times. The word wise shows up 66 times in Proverbs alone. So Proverbs apparently is the place to be, huh? When you want to study about wisdom. The word wisdom shows up in, your, in, in these books, in the uh, wisdom books, 113 times. 55 times in Proverbs alone. So if you want to learn about wisdom, it's not hard to do. What's hard is applying what you learn about wisdom. Okay? And here's some things that we need to know about wisdom before we gain too much head knowledge about it. Because you can know a lot about a thing and not apply it, right? The first thing we need to know is that is that wisdom has prerequisites. Has prerequisites. One of those prerequisites is that we ought to fear God. Just like knowledge. This is how knowledge begins as well, with fearing God. So does wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Job, uh, if you want to study you know, this topic, Job is a definitive passage on wisdom. Uh, Job 28, Job... Uh, it goes on and on about how hard it is to become a wise person and how to gain wisdom. 
And he concludes at the end of this whole thing with the following statement. Job 28, 28. And unto man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So in Job's case, as he's thinking about and contemplating what wisdom is and how hard it is to get, he concludes that wisdom is fearing God. We should fear the Lord. He's the one with, he's the one with all the knowledge. He's the divine one. He's the one with all the knowledge. He's the one with all the understanding. He's the one with all the wisdom. He's got the goods. Not to mention he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-judicious in everything that he does. The dude don't play games. So you should fear him. You should fear the living God, the one who created you, the one who could end your life just like this. He's He's got power. And he ought to be feared. As much as he is a loving God, he is a just God, and he's a God that deserves our awe and wonder. The other prerequisite is this. We need a desire to obey his words. If you don't have a desire, listen, people struggle all the time. They talk about their sin. And I know that sin is a habit, and I know that sin can be deeply ingrained into your lifestyle. You know? People struggle with, uh, with acting foolish. All kinds of foolishness that you can struggle with. You could struggle with pornography or a filthy mouth. You could struggle with fornicating and acting, you know, all kinds. You know the list. You know all the stuff, right? And, you know, the thing is about sin is that when you start participating in sin from an early age in particular, man, those habits, they're hard to shake. It's hard to shake some of that. But I believe that there is an answer in seeking after the Lord And beginning with just desiring to obey. And if you're honest with yourself, the reason many of us can't quit the sin that we're into is because we don't actually desire to. I'll sit in counseling sessions with people for hours and hours and hours. And they'll say, but I want to repent. I want to do what's right. I just can't. Well, I don't want to take away the fact that it's really hard for you. But a lot of times after those hours of counseling, what I realize about that person is that They say they want to quit. They say they want to obey. But in their heart, they really don't. And so if you want wisdom, you've got to start by desiring to obey his very words. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. That's pretty straightforward. (laughs) If If you'll just do what I asked you to do, I'll like, even if you're not wise, I'll liken you to one. I'll liken you to a wise man. That's how I'll see you. That's how I'll perceive you if you simply obey me. Which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Now I wonder how many of us desire to build something in this life that withstands the test of time. How many of us want to have legacy in our life in terms of our ministry and in terms of our family? We want to do something that has spiritual meaning that goes beyond this temporal realm and into the eternal realm. Who wants wants to have fruit that abounds unto the glory of God? Well, if you want to build that kind of house, then you need to begin with simply taking God's design plans and his architectural plans and build according to those things. We need to obey him. You want to be a wise man? Be like this man who obeyed God. And he built his house on a rock. What's, what's the rock a picture of? Jesus Christ. 
And so there are prerequisites to wisdom. We've got to, we've got to want to obey the Lord. We have to fear the Lord, but also we need to be filled with, with God's spirit. I mean, we started in Ephesians by talking about, about the spirit of wisdom, right? The spirit of wisdom. We learn that wisdom is a spirit. But we must understand that this spirit of wisdom is imparted by God's spirit. So we are filled with wisdom when we're filled with the spirit. Exodus 31.3, remember we were just there, says, and I have filled him with the spirit of God. That's what it says. I filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. See, the command of scripture, particularly here in Ephesians, is that we be filled with the spirit of God. Now, here's the thing. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he put his spirit in you. We talked about this earlier in our sermon today. He put his spirit in you. Now, you're, you have all of the spirit that God could possibly give. But the issue of filling is whether or not you will choose to consistently yield yourself to the power of that spirit. See, being filled with the spirit of God is about giving over control of your life. Trusting that his way is better. Letting him have his way. You know, there's all kinds of things in our life. There's, there's areas of our life that we, do, we, we prohibit God from entering into. Thoughts, actions, behaviors, things that we hold on to, things we tuck away in a closet or put up on a shelf. Ways of thinking, broken ways of thinking, foolish behavior that we don't want anyone to know about. We hide it away as though God doesn't see it. And we ask ourselves why there's no power of God in our life because we're not filled with his spirit because we haven't let the light of God's word enter into every, every crevice and aspect of who we are. We haven't given over ourselves. We haven't been filled with God's spirit. There's a connectedness. And I think we, we talked about this in the last service, and I want to point it out again, because I think it's worth noting. I, I really appreciated this about what Sam said. There's a connectedness to optimizing and mastering our spiritual gifts and the filling of the spirit of wisdom. There's a connection to be made here. You want to say, well, I want to be good at ministry. I want to, I want to excel at the things that God's given me to do. I don't want to be a sucky minister. I want to be great, I want to be great at what God's called me to do. Okay, well, he's gifted you. And I believe that there's a connection between the filling of God's spirit and whether or not you will be wise. Deuteronomy 34.9 is the passage that, that Sam referred to. And uh, it's Moses and Joshua. And this is what it says. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Isn't that interesting? That jumped out at me like uh, slapped me in the face. Full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, upon him and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. In other words, this is, this is the, the ordination of Joshua as the leader of the nation of Israel. And so before Joshua can enter into what God has given him to do and to be, he has to be filled with the spirit of wisdom. And that's true for you too. 
There's so many of us who know that we have a calling on our lives, but we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what a year from now, what life will look like, or ministry will look like. And you've had all these questions about who you're becoming. Be filled with the Spirit. Love God's word and obey it. Yield your members to his power and his, and his desire. Third, if we want wisdom, we must focus on our inner man. Now, I, I believe that this is kind of implied when talking about being filled with the Spirit, right? It's kind of implied. But when we, when we talk about wisdom, I think it's worth noting and, and pointing out the fact that the wisdom demands that we focus our attention on the inner man, not the external man, not the outer man. We've got to give special attention to what's going on inside of us. It begins on the inside, and then it works its way out. That's the way God does his business. He refines you on the inside, and then, and then whatever's on the inside, it's going to come out. It's going to come out of your life, whether it's good or bad. But if God's at work on the inside, then your behaviors and your words will reflect that. Psalm 51.6 says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me... To, to know wisdom. And the inner part is where you're going to make me to know wisdom. That's a, that's a work that God does on the inside of us. And when we say inside, we mean head, we mean heart. Knowledge, understanding. Make sense? I'm trying to make this practical for you. James 3.13 says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge? Among you? I mean, I ask this question all the time in ministry. I'm looking around asking this question. I'm joking. I'm joking. Now, listen to what it says. Let him show out of a good conversation. Listen, I'm looking for wise men. I am. God's looking for wise men. He's looking around. He's looking for wise men and women. And it says this. Let him show out of a good conversation, which means lifestyle. Out of a good lifestyle. His works... His works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So there's a, we know that there's a worldly kind of wisdom. For where envy and strife is there, is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Listen to me. You want to know what wisdom looks like lived out? It's right here. You know, when I, when I look across the ministry and I'm calling up leadership and I'm saying, hey, I need to make you responsible for something very important. You know what I'm looking for? People that are peaceable, pure in heart, people that do their behavior and they act in a meek way. They're not proud or arrogant. They're, they're full of good fruits. They're not partial. They're not comparing themselves to other people or comparing others against each other. That's what wisdom looks like lived out. Now, who doesn't want to be that kind of person? You know who that looks like? That looks like Jesus. That looks like Jesus. 
as we close, I want to look at Proverbs 8.8. Proverbs 8.8 says, All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth. And write to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. What do you desire? What do you desire? What is it that you want in life? There's a lot of us that are pursuing many different things. It doesn't have to be silver or gold or rubies. I, mean, I don't even know if I've ever seen a ruby. I've seen some ruby slippers in a movie once. That's, that's about as far as it's gone. But some of you are pursuing relationships. You, you know, if I, if, like before the living God, you know that you desire a, a spouse more than you desire wisdom. That's a problem. There's many of you that just, you just want your pain to cease, to stop being depressed. You just don't want to hurt. Now listen to me. What if your pain was an idol? What if your fixation with pain became the thing that obstructed wisdom? What I'm suggesting is there's nothing in life worth pursuing more than knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And it's that kind of person, the person that devotes themselves to that kind of work, that speaks and lives and acts and makes decisions that look just like Jesus Christ. Why do we need a divine comprehension? Why do we need the divine mind? Well, it's because he's divine and because we desire to be close to him. Ephesians 3.14 says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. You want to be close to God? You can't even comprehend God. You want to be close to not God? You need to get his divine mind. That's what you need. And so I want to invite the worship team up. And as we do, don't, don't put away too quick. I want you to listen. There's an invitation for you today. There's some of you that are not taking one of these aspects very serious. Like there's some of you in the room who say, I love knowledge, but I struggle with understanding. There's some of you who you, you struggle with understanding because you don't meditate on the precepts of God. You're exactly the person that I was describing that's running around doing, doing, doing all the time. And there's no virtue or power in your ministry. 
it needs to be dealt with. So, so if, if you've gotten the cart ahead of the horse in terms of your spiritual well-being, and you've restricted God's ability to access your mind, then it's time for you to repent. It's time for us to give over our mind and our emotions to the Lord and let him have his way. Maybe you're pursuing after something that would keep all of this completely impossible. Maybe there's a, a relationship that you have in your life that is, is unbecoming of a Christian. Maybe you've, you've got some sort of pursuit or addiction that you know is keeping you from following the Lord because you actually worship that thing more than you do Jesus. Come repent of that. Come forward. There's going to be people standing up here ready to meet you and greet you and to pray with you and to love you and, and, and rejoice with you over you letting go of the sin in your life. I also believe that there's people in the room who really like what I'm saying, maybe. Maybe like this business about knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And it appeals to you. You desire that. But you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God doesn't indwell you. And I want to invite you to lay down your will today, to repent of your sin, and to call on Christ for the very first time, to call on him to be your Savior. There is no better day than today to call on Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. The spiritual realm is real. You know it. You know it in your heart. No one needs to convince you of it. You know that there is a life after death. You know that there is a heaven and a hell. And you know that people that sin deserve hell. You know these things. But God has, has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to set you free. He loves you more than you could ever love yourself. He's seen every one of your sins. And he still cares for you. It hasn't phased him. If you know you need Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you should come forward. So whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're working through, it's time to lay it down. Let's do it right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. You are, you are the hope of our lives. And God, we ask that, that you would meet us exactly where we're at right now, whether whether we're working through our salvation or, or maybe we're working through our sanctification, we're working through issues of sin. Lord, I pray that we would all consecrate ourselves to you right now, that we would devote our heart and our mind, that we would yield our bodies to the power of your spirit, that we would learn to pursue wisdom with everything that we have. Lord, we need you for that work. It's a work that you do. We're praying for it. We're praying for knowledge and understanding in our ministry and in our personal lives. We need it. If we're going to win this world to Christ, and in our lifetime we're going to see hundreds of churches planted, if we're going to see that, Lord, it's going to require wisdom. It's going to require knowledge and understanding in our lives. So, Lord, please call us to that and do, do a work in us that only you can do. We need you. I, I pray that people would have the confidence to make decisions even right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.